I'd like to add to Bertie's welcome if you're new or visiting us today, and if I haven't met you, uh, my name's Jono. I, I lead the, the uh, ministry here at Harrington Park and across our parish of, um, in this area. Please uh, keep your Bibles open. Uh, year 6 to 8 are going to head out now for Bible study uh, with Rob and Teresa. So they're back from uh, school holidays and starting on the new series in Philippians also. Just bear with me a moment. The Bible seems to want to slide down the lectern, so there we are, that'll fix that. Uh, as we come to this part of God's Word, will you pray with me? Uh, our Father God, we do thank you that you've not left us in the dark, but you've spoken to us in your Word, in the Bible, and most perfectly in your Son, our Lord Jesus. Our Father, we ask that you'd help us as we look at your Word now. Please give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts ready to respond to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what sort of uh, week you've had this past week. If you uh, had to uh, put on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is kind of the worst week of your life and 10 is the best week of your life, uh, just, just think to yourself for a moment, where would you, what sort of number would you, would you give um, for the, the past week? I'm not going to ask you to, to, to share it, um, though you could you know, perhaps share it over morning tea with one another, ask, so what, sort of, what number did you have this week? Or, but just think, what is it, uh, how, did, how has the past week gone? For you. It's interesting to think about how you come up with a, with a number like that. How do you, how do you work that out? How, how do you look at the world around you and, and make a judgment on, on how things are going for you? Are they going well? Are they, are they going badly? How you look at the world uh, shapes how you, you'd answer that sort of question. It might shape how you answer the question of this uh, glass that's on the, come up on the uh, screen behind me. Is this glass half empty or is it half full? Let's have, let's have a show of hands. Who, who says this is a half empty glass? Who says it's a half full glass? Okay, we're, we're feeling pretty upbeat this morning. I think we've got more, uh, more optimists than pessimists or, or realists, aren't they? They're, they're realists. Are, they're, that's what pessimists like to be uh, called, actually. Maybe you find yourself kind of floating between those two answers. That uh, you say, sometimes you might say it's, it's half full, and other times you say no, it's half empty, and and it just depends on you know on how things are going. It, it, it's worth pondering though. What, what's your outlook on life, and what shapes and determines that outlook? Consider uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. Here's a few artist impressions on the screen um, that'll come up. Of oh no, sorry, I skipped that one. Just go back. That was that was the um, just go back one. So that's, that's the, the, the pedant says that uh, the glass is always full because it's half full of water and half full of air. What, what, the engineer, what does the engineer say? Glass is twice as big as it needs to be. So, um, go on to the Apostle Paul. Consider Paul. Here's, here's some artist impressions of Paul. Uh, we actually have no idea what he looked like, but uh, there you go. What we do know is Paul lived in the first century and uh, he was a committed follower of Jesus. He was called to be an apostle of Jesus, a, a representative, a, a spokesperson of Jesus, a messenger. And we know that he spent some time, some years, travelling around what is uh, uh, modern-day Turkey, Palestine, Greece, Italy. And he spent time travelling around telling people about Jesus and, and establishing the first churches. And in one of those trips uh, around 49 AD, we can work out from the book of Acts, from chapter 16, he spent uh, somewhere between a few days and a few weeks at a place called Philippi. Which, uh, Philippi was a Roman colony in Macedonia. And during this, what was a very brief stay, 
Paul saw people come to, to believe in Jesus, to become followers of Jesus, and he saw this, the church established there. And we can glean from uh, other parts of 1 and 2 Corinthians that Paul visited them again a few times in the coming years. Now we also know that uh, during Paul's ministry, as he worked to spread the gospel, he encountered opposition. As we read in Acts 16, uh, he, was, he was beaten with rods and imprisoned overnight with his feet held in, in stocks. He often faced opposition as he travelled, as he told people about Jesus. He ended up in prison a number of times. And it was in one of those occasions where he was in prison that he wrote this letter to the Christians at Philippi. Uh, we don't know exactly where or when it, it was. He was in prison a number of times and there's a few options, but it was probably around about 60 AD. And four times throughout the letter of uh, Philippians, he mentions that he's in chains. And so his circumstances, well, he's in prison. His preaching tour has been stopped. His opponents seem to have, have won. He's no longer free. He's chained. And it seems that he's actually facing the possibility of he might die as a result of his faith. We, we see that later in chapter 1. And so he writes to the Philippians, in these circumstances, and given these circumstances, we might. What would we expect from Paul? I reckon we could be excused for expecting something, a uh, you know, a little bit half glass, uh, glass half empty. If we asked the Apostle Paul, well, you know, could you give us a number between one and ten of what sort of time you're having lately? We 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 might think that he'd be on the low side of of halfway. That things aren't going so well. But we don't find Paul saying that. What we find instead in this letter to the Philippians is this letter is full of joy. Paul prays with joy. He speaks of his joy. He rejoices and he calls on them to rejoice. This, the letter of Philippians is known as the, the letter of joy. Uh, a brief count uh, throughout the letter, there's, uh, the word joy or rejoice uh, appears 13 times in this short letter. Why? What does Paul have to be so happy about? I mean, is he just kind of one of those sort of over-the-top, slightly annoying people who seemingly always are, you know, always happy despite their circumstances? And does he just slap a smile on his face and say, all good, even when obviously it's not all good? Well, no, that's, that's not where he's coming from. And what I hope we'll see in Philippians 1 this morning is that the source of joy for Paul is much deeper. And this is something that we can learn from. As we look at this part of God's word, something that can actually shape us and mould us as we move through life with our varied states of optimism or pessimism or realism, as the case may be. So let's look at this, uh, these uh, few verses from Philippians 1 together. I hope you've got your Bibles open. Uh, Philippians starts, he starts with an introduction of who he is, who they are and a, uh, a greeting of grace. And after introducing the letter, Paul starts by telling them what he's praying for them. He tells them what he thanks God for and then what he asks God for. And we're going to work through those two things. Firstly, he thanks God, verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul is so thankful to God for them. He thinks of them. Oh, the Philippians. And he just, he just can't help but thank God for them. Thank you, God, for my brothers and sisters at Philippi. And notice his use of the word all there 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. This is full, rich, joyful thanksgiving. Now why? Why is he so thankful and joyful? Well, look there, verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul rejoices because they're partners with him in the gospel. They're in it together with him. They're fellow Christians working together at the great cause of the gospel. Now, partnership is a theme we we discover through the the, the letter of Philippians. Um, Just flip flip over a page or two to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 14. He he speaks there of uh, the Philippians sharing in his troubles. They're partners in suffering. The same word is used, the sharing word. Same as the word for partnership. And then the next verse, verse 15, the Philippians shared with Paul in the matter of giving and receiving. They're they're financial partners with Paul. The same word is used there. And so part of Paul's purpose in writing to them is to thank them for their partnership in giving. So there's this real strong sense that, that they're in this together. Which, if you think about it, in one sense, is quite extraordinary. They have this, this tight connection, this partnership together. I mean, Acts 16, verse 12 says Paul stayed there several days. It wasn't a long time that he spent with them. And now he finds himself locked up in prison, miles away from them. And yet he says here, verse 7, he says that I I have you in my heart. Verse 8, he says, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's this profound unity and and partnership and warmth together. And why is that? What's the basis of this this unity, this this partnership? Well, verse 7 explains. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. The word share there, it's this, it comes from the same root word for partnership, fellowship, sharing in common. All of you share in God's grace. We're, you're fellow partners and sharers in God's grace. Paul and the Philippians, they've both received the message of Jesus. They've received the gospel of God's grace. And that's what unites them. We, we might sort of gloss over this and kind of take it for granted. But in these first 11 verses, Jesus is mentioned seven times. I'll show you quickly. Verse 1, there's, Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus. Verse 1, the Philippians are God's holy people in Christ Jesus. Uh, verse 2, grace comes from Christ Jesus. Verse 6 and verse 10, we're headed for the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 8, Paul knows the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 11, they live out the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Seven times in 11 verses, because it's the gospel of Jesus that we've come to know. It's, it's, that's how we come to know the grace of God. And that's what unites Paul and unites the Philippians. They're from very different walks of life. And they find themselves separated physically in different circumstances. But they've both come into relationship with God and so they're united together as fellow partners in the gospel of Christ. That's the nature of the gospel. 
This, this universal message of forgiveness through Jesus, it, it touches and unites people from every nation and tribe and language. Our church is a, is a small testimony to that. Um, we may differ from, from one another in all sorts of big and small ways in background and age and interests and life situations, but we are united together with Christ. We have that fellowship, that partnership with one another. Just last Sunday morning at morning tea, uh, Japheth, uh, uh, one of the students at the university, um, came up and spoke to me and, and uh, told me that he'd finished his studies and he was heading back home to Uganda next, uh, in this coming week. And he thanked, thanked me for uh, his time with us here. We have a great unity in the gospel, though we're from other sides of, of the planet. We're brothers in Christ. What a wonderful thing that is. Despite our differences of, in all sorts of different ways, we have partnership, fellowship with one another. And I wonder if sometimes we lose sight of that, uh, that profound bond that we have as fellow Christians. Maybe even undervalue it. I wonder if sometimes the bond that we look for with others in church maybe is less about fellowship in the gospel and more about friendship based on other things. You see, do we look primarily for friends at church? Do I have friends here? Do my kids have friends here? And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm all for friendship. I quite like friends. I'm open to offers, if uh, you know. Um, but is friendship what our relationships are about? Now, I don't doubt that, that Paul and the Philippians, would, that they were dear friends. I'm sure that's the case. But the basis of their friendship was not that they, they were of the same age and stage and they shared common hobbies and they liked going out to the movies and dinner and parties together. No, the primary unity and fellowship and sharing together that they had was their partnership in the gospel of God's grace. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the source of Paul's joy, his affection for them. So friends, if you share in God's grace, if you have received Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then you share in God's grace with me and with your brothers and sisters here around you. With your brothers and sisters at Night Church and at Gregory Hills Anglican and at Oran Park and at Norellan and in Slovenia and throughout the world, we are partners together in the gospel. And that's something to rejoice in, as Paul does. And all the more, it's something to rejoice in because it's, it's not sort of hanging in the balance and under threat and uncertain. And I mean, Paul's chained up and they themselves are actually facing opposition, we, re, we discover later on. But the work of God's grace in the gospel is not under threat. It's not in danger. You see what Paul says, verse 6. Uh, verse 5, he prays with joy because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then verse 6, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, Paul thanks God with joy because of their partnership in the gospel, knowing that God, God is the one who is actually at work in them. He's begun this good work from the first day until now, and God will continue that good work to the final day of Christ Jesus. The glass is definitely not half empty. It's half full and God is continuing to fill it up until the final day of Christ. It may seem kind of obvious, but being a Christian is an amazing thing. 
God is at work in us by his spirit, bringing us to the point of repentance and acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and that we need to repent before him and and trust him and, and follow him. That is a work of the spirit of God in us. And God continues that good work in us individually and together as we continue to grow, as we continue to work together in the gospel. It's not always easy. It's not always plain sailing. Sometimes it involves sacrifice and hard work and pain and sometimes we face opposition. Sometimes, perhaps often, we fail. But by God's grace, he continues that good work in us, growing us in his grace. If we know God's grace in the gospel of Jesus, then God is at work in us and he will continue that work as we are partners in his gospel. Friends, this past year has been a big year in lots of ways for us as a church. Uh, We've worked hard in all sorts of ways, in kids' ministry, in youth ministry, in men's and women's ministry, in our growth groups, prayer and Bible study groups, our carols, meals ministry, wardens, parish counsellors, and just through the numerous ways that we serve one another week in, week out here at church on Sundays. But we've also taken two big changes in the past 12 months. We've planted a new church, Gregory Hills Anglican, and we've added, to, we've added the church hub to our, our ministry. And those two things have been very big undertakings in terms of time and money and effort and commitment by a lot of people. It hasn't always been plain sailing. There have been ups, there have been downs. And we have much to be thankful to God for in and through all of that in the ways that he's led us and enabled us and provided for us. But I want to highlight and remind us of why we planted Gregory Hills Anglican, why we added the hub. We didn't do it just because it would be a cool thing to do, to you know, have another church and maybe to have somewhere where we can watch the state of origin together. You know, As nice as those things are. We didn't do it for those reasons. We did it because we're partners in the gospel. We share together in God's grace. That's what shapes and defines us. That's who we are. We're we're God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Harrington Park. We share together wanting to see God's grace go to others. We want others to God to begin that good work in them and carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we've we've stretched and we've expanded and we've grown which is been uncomfortable, it's been hard, it's been challenging because we recognise that there are many, many more people who don't yet know Jesus, who need to know him, who need to continue to trust and follow him. And all the more in this area where with a population that is expanding so rapidly around us. Did you know that in our immediate neck of the woods in, um, in Harrington Grove, Harrington Park, just press a few more, yep, they'll come up, um, Gregory Hills and the, the Hermitage, Currents Hill, in this immediate area, the population grew over the past, uh, past 12 months by over 10%, over 2,200 people. You probably did know that if you used Cannon Valley Way on the Rillan Road. <laughs> We're not just knowing it and maybe despairing at the inadequate transport infrastructure. We're... We're not just doing that. We're striving to do what we can under God to help those people hear of Jesus and grow in him because we are partners in the gospel. That's what we are. 
And friends, God is at work amongst us. It was a great joy and privilege um, just this past Friday afternoon um, to share in, uh, in the, uh, with the, the Goddard family, one of the, the kids' club families, uh, as their uh, young Capri was baptised. Now, Capri is seven years old, I think. Yep, Capri is seven years old. And she's come to know Jesus through scripture and holiday club and kids' club. And uh, she, she delights in knowing Jesus and following him. And just this last Friday, Capri stood up there at kids' club before her friends and her family and declared that she knows and trusts Jesus and she's going to live to follow him. God is at work in us. I've heard stories in this past week of the ways that God is answering the prayers of our our 316441 cards as we pray for four people for one year, pray that, that, that God would bring them to know and trust Jesus. God is at work amongst us, opening doors of opportunity for the gospel of his grace to be heard by others. What a joy, what a privilege. We have much to thank God for, as Paul does. Which brings us to the second part of Paul's prayer, where he asks God to continue that work. He prays, verse 9, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, this may be hard to sort of digest. It's one big, long sentence, and Paul, in true Pauline, Pauline style, sort of just heaps one thing upon the other. But let's unpack it a bit. Firstly, he prays that their love will abound in knowledge and depth of insight. Love and knowledge have got to go together. I think of it like a cycle. Like it has it on the screen there. Uh, understanding, knowledge, enables love. Love needs understanding. You know, if I want to love my, my wife, truly love my wife, as the Bible tells me, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. If I want to do what's good for her, what's best for her, not for me, well, I need knowledge. I need understanding. I need to know what's good and what's best for my wife. And then I need to put that knowledge and depth of insight into practice. Love puts that into practice. It takes action based on that knowledge. So love must abound in knowledge and depth of insight. I think sometimes evangelical Christians, that's us, we, we can be criticised for being too focused on knowledge. You know, it's too much about the head. Where's, you know, where's the heart? It needs to be more about the heart. What we see here is that, well, the heart needs the head to give direction. If we're going to love, well, we, we need knowledge to be able to love. So this abounding love and knowledge... Working together, it then, it, that then results in two things. Verse 10, it's being able to discern what is best. You call it wise thinking. And secondly, being pure and blameless, pure living. And this verse 11 says is what it is to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And all of this results in the glory and praise of God because God's the one who's bringing all this about. What an awesome thing to pray. What a great prayer for ourselves and for each other, that our love and our knowledge would abound, that we would be people of wise thinking and pure living, all to the praise of God, who is doing this good work. 
Why don't you pray that this week for yourself, for your family, for others at church? Maybe you could memorise this prayer, these, these three verses of Paul. Reflect on it. Pray it for yourself and for others. God, please grow me in knowledge and love that I would think rightly, that I would act rightly, that I bring praise to you in my life. And if we're going to pray that, we'll have a think about how God might answer that. How would he, how would he grow us, grow our love and our knowledge of his will? Well, it's got to involve us listening to him as he speaks to us and teaches us in the Bible. If we want to grow in knowledge and depth of insight, then we need to be reading and applying God's word to our lives at, here at church, in our, our growth groups, Bible study groups, on our own, maybe one-to-one with a, a friend or a spouse or in our families. We, we need to be feeding on God's word regularly. That's fundamental. Uh, I think in our church uh, at the moment, we, we need to start more Bible study groups. We we need to see more groups to enable more people to be involved in one. And if that's you, if you're not in a group and you'd like to be in a group, let me know and let's see if we can get organised and, and uh, start some more groups. But it's not just knowledge. It's love abounding in knowledge. Love for God, love for others. So think, how could God answer that prayer? How can I, how can I love and serve others around me? Maybe it's by... Um, by praying for those people on your 316441 card. Pray for those four people that they would come to know Jesus. If you haven't got one of those cards, we'll see if we've got some up the back. We can, um, we can get those. Commit yourself to pray for people. That's loving people. And maybe it's by welcoming someone into the life of our church and uh, making room for them in your life. Help them to, to know Jesus and to grow as a Christian. That's love. Maybe it's helping set up and pack up church once a month. That's love. Maybe it's being committed to a, a prayer and Bible study group so that you can encourage and, and pray for others in the group. That's love. Think about how God might grow you, your love in knowledge. Will you pray that? Will you pray that he would do that? And will you enable God to bring this good work um, about in you? Friends, be encouraged. This is what God is, is doing. This is what he wants to do. This is, what, this is the good work that he is bringing about in us. Uh, I don't know about that glass, uh, whether it's half full or half empty, but I can tell you what we are. As partners in the gospel of Jesus, as sharers in God's grace, we are not half empty. God has begun a good work in us in Christ Jesus, and he will carry that on to completion. So friends, rejoice in that. Thank God, praise him. And give yourself to that good work that God is doing in you. Look for opportunities to grow in knowledge and love, in wise thinking and pure living. Look for ways to live a life that brings glory and praise to God. And pray that God would continue that work in you, in me, in one another for his glory. Praise God we're not alone in this. We're in this together. Uh, we're a team. We're partners in the gospel. So let's give ourselves to that partnership. Um, I thank God for you. I thank God for all of you 
that we're partners in the gospel. We're sharing God's grace. And I pray that God would continue that work in you for his glory. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your grace to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sin, for fellowship and relationship with you as your children. And Father, we thank you for our partnership together in the great cause of the gospel. Father, we pray that you would continue that good work that you have begun in us and carried on to completion. We thank you that we can rest confident that you are at work amongst us. And Father, we do pray that, that uh, our love and knowledge would abound more and more, that we would be people of, um, of right thinking and of pure living, that we would live lives that show the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus and that we would do this to your praise and glory, for it is you who is at work in us. Father, please continue to grow us in that, this way as partners together in the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.